Praise the Lord and welcome to this Wednesday night Bible study that we call Midweek Refueling. Once again, I'm coming to you from Bethlehem, Georgia, right here in my study, because we are living in unprecedented times. My entire county is on a lockdown until April 13th. And so until then, we cannot go out except for essential services. And because we believe in the rule of law and that we understand that government is a ministry of God, according to Romans chapter 13, we want to follow the local, state, and national directives regarding safety and uh, constraint so that this virus do not spread any further than it has been. Amen. So again, we want to welcome you uh, here at World Outreach Church for All Nations, and I'm coming to you from Bethlehem, Georgia. Now, at WorkFan, we believe in raising strong families and serving global communities. And so we want to welcome all of our friends, loved ones from across the globe that's joining us for this uh, study this afternoon, or depending on what, whatever time you are in your local zone. So I'm going to pick up from where I stopped last Wednesday night, where I was talking about how we respond to this greatest need of our time during this coronavirus. How do we respond? Or what is the appropriate response from us as believers in this hour? So let me go to a scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 16. Many of us are very familiar with that scripture. This is where Paul tells us that we have the mind of Christ. Now, before I go any further in this teaching, let me just say this to you, that this revelation of having the mind of Christ, or the fact that I know that God has given me the mind of Christ, this is the single most revolutionary revelation of God's word that I, Banka Kemola, has received in the last mm, maybe nine months. It has totally changed the way I see things. It's changed the way I see myself. It's changed the way I see people around me, my wife, my children, my congregation, my friends. It's changed the way I see God. And my prayer for us tonight is that God will help us to, uh, to, to be able to embrace this word and believe it for what it means. We need to stop trying to rationalize the word and trying to say, well, if I understand it, I'll believe it. No, believe it first, understanding will come later. Believe it first, and then the understanding will follow. Amen? So Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. Now, this is critical. Actually, you know what? Let, let, me, read, let me read a passage. Uh, let, let me read what, what it says. Let me read it from uh, mm, verse 9. Verse 9. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. It says, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Now, if you just stop there, you walk away and say, well, uh, the eye have not seen, he has not heard, uh, it's not entered the heart of men, the things that God has prepared. In other words, 
we're in a state of not knowing what God is trying to do, what God has done for us, what God is preparing for us. You almost want to walk away and say, no, I don't know it. But look at verse 10. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. That eliminates and removes the issue or the notion of not knowing. Because the Bible says it's revealed. It's not concealed, revealed. But God has revealed to them, or rather, God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Are there some things the spirit does not know? No, the Bible says it searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. So let, let me help you with what Paul is saying here. If you are not a child of God, if you don't have the spirit of God, then you cannot know the things of God. Now, you may have superficial knowledge of who God is and what God does. But when it comes to the things of God, the deep things of God, except you have a spirit that searches all things, then you cannot know them. That's why the natural man can never know the things of the spirit of God. That's what Paul tells us. Why? They are foolishness unto him. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. Amen? Now it goes on to say in verse 12, 1 Corinthians 1, 12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Now notice how it started verse 12. We have received. When? Past tense. We have received. Past tense. Amen? Why did we receive? That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things are freely given. We didn't ask for them. We didn't beg for it. It just, out of the abundance of the grace and the riches of his heart, gave them to us. Now, verse 13. So these things we also speak, not in words in which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Ah, well, this is the verse I was quoting earlier, verse 14. He said, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. Now, this is the verse I want to emphasize before we move into this teaching today. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? This last sentence of verse 16 says, But we have the mind of Christ. When I believed that and embraced that, and God began to open my understanding to what that means, it changed my life entirely. And I'm not exaggerating. It changed my life. It changed the way that I related, related to my wife, to my children, to my congregation, my friends. Everything changed. Everything. Because now I know that I have the mind of Christ. I've always had it, but I didn't know how to unlock it. I didn't know how to use it. Now, let me go to a, a scripture. Let me go to another translation. And that's where I want to really start today. That same verse, 1 Corinthians uh, 1.16. No, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians 2.16. That same verse in the Passion Translation. 
Let me read it to us from the Passion Translation, and then I'm going to move on today. I want to talk about how we do respond in this time of Corona uh, crisis. It says, For who has ever intimately known the mind of the Lord Yahweh well enough to become his counselor? It says, Christ has, and we possess Christ's perceptions. Oh, my goodness. Let me say that one more time. Watch this carefully. I know we don't have the ability to put the scriptures on the screen for you right now because of uh, this emergency that's going on around our world, and in particular in Gwinnett County. But let me read it very slowly again for you in a Passion Translation. 1 Corinthians 2.16 For who has ever intimately known the mind of the Lord Yahweh well enough to become his counselor? Christ has. In other words, Christ knows the mind of God. Then Paul goes on to say, and we possess Christ's perceptions. So if I'm to define what the mind of Christ is, I do it in two ways. Number one, this same scripture, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 16, in the Amplified Classic, it defines the mind of God as having God's thoughts, feelings, and purposes of his heart. Having the thoughts, feelings, and purposes of God's heart. That's number one definition. The second definition, and this is the one I want to really focus on today as we move on in this teaching, is what we see here in the Passion Translation. And that simply defines the mind of Christ as having or possessing Christ's perceptions. That's what I want to start off this morning, this evening. Having or possessing Christ's perception. Everything that's happening around us is a matter of perception. How do you perceive it? Or shall I say, what are you perceiving that's going on? Or how do you perceive how we should respond to what's happening? You know, uh, I can have a glass of water that's half filled and I can show that glass to you and ask you what do you see you can see it in one or two ways you can say to me that that glass is half empty or you can say that that glass is half filled how you describe it would be a matter of your perception huge how we see things will determine how we respond to what we see. That's why whenever God wants to do a thing, he wants to bring a change, do something significant, all through the scriptures, he will challenge his prophet or his mind about what they are seeing. So he takes Abraham out in the middle of the night, tells him to look in the stars. He says, Abraham, what do you see? What is he trying to do? He's giving him this imagery to try to challenge his perception about his current situation. And my friend, I'm saying to you tonight, what are you seeing? Do you see lack or you see supplies? Do you see shortage or you see opportunities? What are you seeing? Do you see destruction or you look at or you are seeing innovation? What are you seeing? As bad as things are right now, because the world is in a crisis mode, the world is in a panic mode. As bad as things are, do you not know millionaires and billionaires are being made even right now as we speak? You can be one of them. It depends on your perception. 
You can sit down in your corner and say, oh my God, I don't have a job. My business is going down the tube. Blah, 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 blah. You can count all the doom and gloom of the things that you think are happening and the things that have not even happened. You can prophesy your own doom. Or you can operate in the mind of Christ, having Christ's perception about what's happening and change the tune of what you say and rather than preach doom and gloom to yourself, your friends, and your household, you can make a declaration that this is the day of opportunity. This is the day in which the Lord will raise you up and give you a brand new start. This is the day of witty invention. This is the day that God will glorify himself. This is the day that the finest season of the church is coming upon us. Now is the set time to favor Zion. I am of Zion. Because in Zion, the perfection of beauty, God has shined forth. Amen. This is the reason when the enemies caught Samson. What was the first thing they did? They plucked out his eyes. They don't want him to see. Not just in the natural, but what that's saying to me and you is, the enemy understands that our perception will determine our actions. So if I'm perceiving wrong, I will act wrongly. But when I'm perceiving rightly, I will act rightly. So this issue of matter of perception is huge. It is critical. We, as a child of God, we, the believers, have Christ's perceptions. Is Christ's perception that of fright? Is his perception that of anxiety? Is his perception that of destruction? What is Jesus saying? Hallelujah. So let me go to the scripture in 2 Kings chapter 6. Here the background is Elisha and his servant. is about to be attacked. And uh, 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 we see this little encounter here. Let's just see what we can glean from it. 2 Kings chapter 6. Let me read from verse 14. Therefore, he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when his servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So the master answered. So he answered, verse 16, Do not fear. You know this, eh? Do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Oh, did you hear that? Hallelujah. Elisha's servant was frightened. He saw horses and chariots in the physical, surrounding the entire city, coming to get Elisha and his servant. He was afraid. But Elisha said, Chill. I know what you're saying. I'm seeing the same thing you're seeing. But. I'm seeing a little more than what you are saying. Don't be afraid. Just don't fear. Chill. I'm going to help you to see what I'm saying. So in verse 17, the Bible says, And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So all of a sudden, after Elisha prayed, this young man, the servant, was able to see more 
than he had previously seen. Question is, when did this help arrive? Answer, the help had always been there. He just didn't see it. He just did not perceive it. But Elisha was calm, cool, and collected, not only because of what he knew, but also because of what he had seen. And so I'm asking us today, as we continue to grapple with the effect of coronavirus, that rather than just pay attention only to the things we see in the natural, I'm not saying not to see in the natural, I'm not saying not to see what's happening, I'm not saying not to pay attention to the directives we are being given. We should. We should use common sense. Pay attention to what you're hearing and seeing. But at the same time, understand that that's not the only source of information you have. There is another source. And the source that we have in the spirit realm supersedes and it's much more important than the information you get in the natural. Because the spirit controls the earth. Amen? So Elisha saw what was in the spirit, and as a result was calm, cool, and collected, and simply said to his servant, do not fear. Why? Those that before us is more than those against us. And I speak that same word to you right now. In the name of Jesus, wherever you are, whatever you're going through, whatever is happening in your mind, that because you have Christ's perceptions, you also have those that are with you more than those that are against you. That's why the Bible says, greater is he that's within us than he that's in the world. That has never changed. It will not change. You will not fail. You will not go down in the name of Jesus. You will stand and you'll be, you, you, you'll be upright. You'll be supplied. You'll be refreshed because God is on your side, not against you. So it's all a matter of perspective. What are you seeing? And so, so on Wednesday night, I, may, I just... Are just one of the ways in which we can respond to what's going on. And I mentioned as number one point that we should do the word. And I went to great length to describe what that meant. Doing the word is not just uh, uh, obeying God in the arm of your flesh. It's not doing the word as if uh, I'm going to walk, I'm going to go cook food, I'm going to go play soccer. I'm going to, no, it's not doing by the arm of the flesh. Doing the word involves the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers you and I. To obey the word of God, to do the word of God, it's him that's at work in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Apart from the Holy Spirit, you can never do the word of God. Only God enables you to do so. And God enables you and I to do so because of his amazing grace. And when I say grace, I described that last Wednesday night. It's not just talking about unmerited, favor, unmerited on his on earned and undeserved favor. Yes, all of that is part of that. But the grace that God gives us is not an end in itself. Hear me? Let me say that one more time. The grace of the Lord Jesus, as we know it from Scripture, is not an end to itself. No. That's why we have so much controversy about grace. Rather, the grace of the Lord Jesus is a means to an end. Those means are unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. That's a means. But that's not the end. The reason we have this means is to bring us to an end. What is that end? That end is the Holy Spirit working on my heart, giving me the strength to increase in me Christian godly virtues. The end is that the Holy Spirit is giving me unmerited, unearned, undeserved grace so that I now can be empowered and enabled to demonstrate to my world, to demonstrate in my situation, Christian virtues. Titus 2, 11, 12 says that the grace of God has, uh, oh, no, let me say that again. 
the grace of God unto salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us to shun ungodliness, worldly lust. Amen? So grace teaches you to stop sinning. It teaches you to be like Christ. Man, don't, 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 don't let me get more into that. So number one, you do the word. So now, today I want to pick up from there. Number two, how do I respond in this time? Number two is casting my cares upon the Lord. Because what? I know he cares for me. Let me go to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5 in verse 7. And I'm going to read that in the Amplified Classic. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. There we go. This is what this is. Casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all, on him. For he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. So number one, I do the word of God. Number two, I cast my cares upon the Lord. How do I do that? I just go to him and say, Father, everything around me is spelling doom and gloom. That's all I'm hearing. That's all I'm seeing. But I know, God, that you've not called me unto doom and gloom. No. That's not what you've called me to do. That's not what you called me in. In fact, your word says, the plans you have for me are plans of peace and not of evil. To bring me to an expected end. That's what your word says. And I've chosen to believe your word. Nevertheless, all these things are around me. So God, I thank you that I receive the manifestation in my day, in my time, in my situation to destroy every fear, every anxiety, every worry, and everything that wants to steal my peace. I receive the gift of your peace. I thank you for it. And I bless your name, Lord Jesus, for the manifestation in these areas. I'm trusting you care for me because I know you love me and you care for me. In Jesus' name, talk to him. This is why I said to you in one of the previous teachings, you don't pray out of stress, you pray out of, out of relationship. Because you have a relationship with him, you are able to speak to him freely as a child to a father. Amen? So you cast your cares upon the Lord because what? He cares for you. Number three, number three, how do we cast our cares on him? How? So number one, we know we need to do the word. Number two, we, need, we know to cast our cares. So number three says, how, exactly how do I do this? Okay, let me go to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Look at what this is. It says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through this you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. Amen. 
So how do we cast our cares upon him? We do so by remembering what he has promised. Peter here now tells us that he has given unto me and you exceedingly great and precious promises. Child of God, you need to know the promises of God. You need to know what's available to you in your inheritance. You need to know that because if you don't know that, you won't know what to appropriate in this hour. Amen? The reason the resurrection of Jesus is so powerful, and we are in the season now leading up to that resurrection, what the world usually calls Easter. We are, we are, we are in that season now. The reason this resurrection is so powerful is because it's not just that Jesus rose again from the dead. He did. But the Bible says to us that when he rose, we rose together with him. When we died, or rather, when he died, he died as us. We died with him. We were buried together in his death through baptism. And when we came out of the water, it was as we were raised from the dead with him. Now, this is the real key that really, really, really gets my attention and really blesses me. Jesus' resurrection is phenomenal. It is essential to the Christian faith. Because if he did not rise or raise from the dead, our faith will be in vain. But this is what really, really tickles and gets me. Let me read the scripture to you in Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter, actually chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 16. It says, For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. Did you hear that? There can be no testament or will or covenant, new covenant, if there was no death. So it was essential for Jesus to die. Just as I'm a father. I have a will, a natural physical will that was done by a lawyer. I have a will. Now, there are things in that will that will benefit my children and grandchildren after I'm gone. But the issue is they cannot access what's in the will as long as I live. It's not possible. A will is only good after the person who drew the will has died. The testator, the Bible calls it. So for Jesus, for, for me and you to get the benefits of God's promises, Jesus had to die. It is only at his death that his promises became available to us. Now, that is good, but that's not all there is in it. Look at verse 17. Verse 17, Hebrews 9, 17. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since there has no power at all while the testator lives. That is true. That's what we've been saying. But this is the scenario. It is very possible in the case of man, or woman for that matter, to have a will, they die, and it should be an easy distribution of the inheritance to the children and grandchildren, whoever they want to be a blessing to. It should be no problem. But we also know there are times, in fact many times, in fact too many times, when those wills are contested. And when the will is contested, it takes years and years and sometimes never 
before the will is ever resolved. Why? Because the man or the woman who wrote the will is dead and cannot be brought back to testify as to the true intent of what the will is supposed to be. Hallelujah! Jesus, that Son of God, yes, he died, and by his death, the will came into effect. But unlike a man or a woman, he also rose from the dead to enforce every little part of the promises of the or inheritance he made. He's the only one that came back from the dead and said, yes, this is my will. Yes, this goes to Sam. Yes, this goes to Bank. This goes to Sharon. This goes to this person. This goes to that person. I wrote it. I mean it. And this is my intent. And it must be carried out. He not only wrote the will, it's alive forevermore to enforce that will to make sure it's carried out the way he wanted it. That's why his promises are important. You, don't, you need to know the promises. Amen? You do the word. You cast your cares upon him. How do you do that? You bring to his remembrance what he has already promised you. You let him know, Jesus, this was in your will. You promised me X, Y, Z or X, Y, Z, depending on where you're listening from. This is your promise to me. And I know you, you hasten over your word to fulfill it. You never go back on your word. You will never break your own covenant because you are Adonai, a covenant relating God. And on the basis of those promises, you can be rest assured that God will bring to pass that which is given. So number one, you do the word. Number two, you cast your cares. Number three, you remember his promises. And number four, you rest in his provision. Ah, hallelujah. <laughs> you rest in his provision. How? How do you rest in God's provision? Very simple. By saying what Jesus says about every situation in our lives. By saying everything that Jesus is said about every situation in our lives. Let me go to a series of scriptures here in Psalms 116, verse 8. Psalms 116, verse 8. Hallelujah. Psalms 116, verse 8. Look what the Bible says. I think I got that wrong. Okay. Oh, okay. Verse 10. Yeah, okay, I can start from verse 8. Verse 8 says, For you delivered my soul from death, my ears from tears, and my feet from falling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Now go to verse 10. I believed, therefore I spoke. Oh, my God. I believed, therefore I spoke. This is where many of us are not getting the result we want. Because what we are speaking is not consistent with what we say we believe. Let me say that again. I believed, therefore I spoke. What am I speaking? What I'm speaking must be consistent with what I believe. That is what is called integrity. Integrity means there's consistency. I cannot say I believe one thing and say something else. No! I believed Therefore, I spoke. What am I speaking? I'm speaking forth every promise that God has made me in whatever the situation is. That's how I rest. You say, but bank, uh, the fact that you speak, does that mean that's going to come to pass? That's not on me. That's on, on, that's on God. That's why I'm at rest. It's not up to me to bring anything to pass. 
All God is asking me to do is speak what he has already said. That's why Jesus said in Mark 11, 23, speak unto this mountain. You speak, open your mouth, speak unto this mountain. What is the mountain facing you now? You speak unto it. Now, watch this now. He didn't say pray to God about it. He said speak to it. Why? Because God is inherently dwelling in you already. You are not only a child of God. God lives in you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You speak as God will speak in the situation. Jesus got to Lazarus' tomb. He was not uh, uh, shocking and shaking and framing. No. He just came and said, God, I thank you always because you hear me always. Lazarus, come forth. That was the mountain. Lazarus was the mountain. He spoke to that mountain to come forth. He believed and then he spoke. So the way you and I enter into rest is we believe and we speak what we believe. What are you believing right now in your situation with coronavirus? Do you believe God is a supply? Speak it. My God, you are supplying all of my needs according to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Because that's what I believe. Do you believe you're going to die? No. I believe, the Bible says, I will live and not die to declare the glory of the Lord my God, to show forth his works. I believe I live and not die. You speak that for. You believe and then you speak. You know why? Because until you speak, faith is not activated. Your speaking activates the faith. Hallelujah. I believed, therefore I speak. Now let me show this to you in many other scriptures because but in a mouth of two or three witnesses, let every scripture be confirmed. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You and I must be disciplined people to speak forth what God is saying in verse 13. 2 Corinthians 4, 13. It says, and since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. Let me read that to you in the, in the Passion Translation. Passion Translation, 2 Corinthians 4, 13. Passion Translation says it like this. We have the spirit, no, I'm sorry, let me start again. We have the same spirit of faith that is described in the scriptures when it says, first I believed, then I spoke in faith. So we also believe, then speak in faith. Resting in God is not just drinking Kool-Aid, laying on the beach, just doing absolutely nothing. No, that's not resting in God. Resting in God is saying, Jesus, I depend on you totally, completely. You've already finished everything concerning my redemption. I'm just entering into your finished work. And therefore, I rest in the fact that you have already finished it. How do I rest in it? I'm going to say exactly what you've said. I not only believe what you said, but I'm going to repeat and believe, I'm going to repeat what I believe you have said concerning me, concerning my situation. Amen? So you rest in his provision by saying what Jesus says about every situation in our lives. Then you may want to go to say, okay, number five. So number one, again, I say do the word. Number two, cast your cares upon him. Number three, remember his promises. Number four, rest in his provision. And number five, trust in his promises. Trust in his promises. So you say, what did he promise? Let's go to Psalms 91. I'm sure we've heard so many sermons on this these last few days since this coronavirus came. Psalm 91. 
what is his promise? Let me start from verse 9. He says, because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you. That's a promise. Nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. That's another promise. Why? For he has given, for he shall give his angels charge over you to do what? To keep you in all your ways. So we have three promises right there. Number one, no evil shall befall you. Number two, no plague shall come near your dwelling. I don't care how much they talk about how many people are dying, how many people are testing positive. It doesn't matter how much the, uh, the virus is spreading around the world. That's just for you to hear, but you must understand that no evil shall befall you, nor any plague come near your dwelling, and that he, God, will keep you in all of your ways. That's his promise. That's the promise of God you must remember and receive every day. Verses 14 to 15, same chapter. He said, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. So even if you catch the virus, this is a great thing. God says, I will deliver you. I will set him on high. Because what? He has known my name. The Bible says, he shall call upon me and I will answer. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. And last, but not the least, verse 16, with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So God promises us that no evil shall befall us, no, nor shall any plague come near our dwelling, that he will give his angels charge over us, that he will keep us in all our ways, and that, <clears throat> uh, and that uh, uh, he will deliver us in the time of trouble. Those are God's promises. Do you believe those promises, my dear? You may want to ask me, who qualifies for these promises? Every child of God does. Every child of God qualifies for these promises. And so let me close this teaching this morning or evening or whatever the time is that you are receiving it by just making a plea with you. If you are not a child of God, and by that I mean if you are not born again, this is a great time to do so. God is offering you a free gift of his righteousness. In fact, let me read the scripture to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let me just read that very quickly as I pray for you now. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 18. He says, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, look at verse 19. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. not imputing their trespasses to them. Let me just slow down there. I want that to really ring true for you. You know what that verse is saying, my friend? God has reconciled you to himself even before you asked. Yes. 
Mm -hmm. You know what it means to reconcile? If you're a family man or family woman, you know what happens between husband and wife sometimes? They have disagreements. They have arguments. They may get angry with one another. And God helping them, they reconcile those, those differences. Reconciliation means the elimination or removal of hostility. <laughs> the removal of hostility. God is saying that when Jesus went to the cross, He, God, on His own free accord, because of the abundance of His and the riches of His grace and His love towards us, when Jesus went to that cross, He reconciled the entire world to Himself. In other words, God canceled all of our sins. All of the things that come between God and us, between us and God. In Jesus, God canceled it. That's why he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the price for our peace was laid upon him. And that by his stripes, we are healed. So God is saying through Paul that the entire world including you, my brother and my sister, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been, no matter what you're thinking, you have been reconciled back to God. Yes. But not only that, look at what it says. Not only did it say it's reconciled you to him, it says not imputing their trespasses to them. That word imputing is an accounting word that means reckoning. Hey, hey oh my God, what a gift. Oh, Jesus, help us. God is not reckoning. He's not charging you for the trespasses you have committed against him. Why? He charged them all to Jesus' account. Oh, Jesus, help us. Holy Spirit, help me today. Help me to reach out to that man, that woman, wherever they are, to understand that it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. And you, God, has made the way for them to come to you. In that, you've reconciled them back to you and you are not charging their sins against them. Now, this is done for you, but it's not automatic. There is something you have to do. Let me repeat, repeat that again. It is not automatic. God has forgiven the entire world. He's not charging the sins of the world to them. As long as, as long as you accept this free gift. As long as you embrace this free gift, the gift of eternal life that is found and available only in the Lord Jesus. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish. No, that's not his desire. He does not wish that. But that all should come to the saving knowledge of his son. That only happens in one way. And that is by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you believe on the Lord Jesus, simply meaning you accept what God has said, that he's not charging you for your sins, that he's reconciled you back to the world, to himself because of the sacrifice of his son, when you believe that, when you believe that Jesus carried your sins and that he died in your place, when you believe that, God says you'll get the manifestation of what he has done for you in and through the Lord Jesus Christ.
That's my gift to you today. Silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, I give unto you. That gift of eternal life. That gift of God's forgiveness. That gift of God's righteousness. The gift of right standing with God. You can have it right now. Yes. And when you have it, Jesus gloriously comes into your heart. And all those tumult that's been going on in there for years, Jesus becomes a stabilizing force as a God who is peace, the Prince of Peace, he comes to rest in you now. So just join me in prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for all those who are now coming to you to receive their gift of eternal life. You said in your word that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that you raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. And so, Father God, I pray for that man and woman, whoever has made this confession right now, Lord God, that they gloriously come into the kingdom of the Son of God, a child of God, and prepared for this evil day. Thank you, Papa. We bless you. We honor you. Now and forever. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I don't take this lightly. I don't take this for granted. I thank you for uh, being a part of our uh, sharing, uh, for allowing us to come into your home, wherever you may be, uh, all over the world. Uh, I just want to remind you that we come on Sundays at 10 o'clock in the morning uh, and on Tuesday night at 8 p.m. praying for our world, praying for ourselves, because we have a mandate at World Outreach Church for All Nations at Workman. We have a global mandate. We are building strong families that serving global communities. So we have a mandate to pray for the world. And so I want to invite you, be a part of our praying on Tuesday night at 8 p.m. And on Wednesday, I'll come back and teach at 7.30. And then again on Friday at noon. We are praying for the salvation and deliverance of our nations. We love you. God bless. And until I see you again, peace be unto you. In Jesus' name.